Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. To enjoy the Sunday school discussion and that song that went and led. I didn't think my talk here this morning would have anything to do with Job, but there is a lot that is connected. Welcome to the visitor as well. My title of my talk here this morning is God Leads the Way. And I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. I struggled a little bit with what to share. And it wasn't until this morning that it finally started clicking for me. We're breaking into a story here that is very familiar. But I find it fascinating. Exodus 33, we're going to read verses 11 through the end of the chapter to 23. It amazes me how the relationship here that Moses had with God, and I want you to think about that as we read these verses, that Moses had a connection to God. And Moses was in charge of leading the children of Israel. He was asked to lead God's people out of Egypt. God, or Moses did that. He led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But he could not get Egypt out of the children of Israel. And then we see what happened as the children fell, came back, fall, fail, sin, and this is where we find this account here today. Begin reading at verse 11, Exodus 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed and not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto, sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thy, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separate, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in thy sight, in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim thy name, the name of the Lord, before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. And he said, 
Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while by my glory, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in this cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with thy hand, and will I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back, back parts, but my face shall not be seen. How did Moses get to this place here in verse 11? It says that Moses spoke face to face as if man speaketh to his friend. The presence of the Lord was so real and so powerful that Moses knew that he needed God on his side. Was this act, was this an actual face-to-face meeting? I think we know the answer because obviously we read that God said that no man can see my face and live. Before the official tabernacle was built, Moses had taken a tent outside of the camp and pitched it, and that's what they called the tent of meeting. And that's where God would meet with his people. That's where they would go to inquire of the Lord the things that they needed to know. And Moses would visit that tent of meeting and intercede for the people and their sins. But it was through a pillar of cloud that God came to meet Moses there at that tent of meeting. I believe this verse speaks of the reality and the depth of the communion that Moses had with God. Moses was God's friend. It wasn't because he was perfect or gifted or powerful. He did have some good leadership qualities, but he still was human. But it was because they were friends and they trusted each other. And they shared a common interest. And no one could drive a wedge between them. Moses never knew where he was going with God. God didn't always provide a signpost to direct him. But it didn't matter. But he knew whom he was going with. And that's what made that and that's what made the difference. I believe the connection that Moses had was one that was just as if a friend was talking face to face. It wasn't an actual Communication was no no problem on God's part to talk to Moses. If God could speak through a burning bush, if God could speak through a cloud, if God's voice is not restricted at all by our physical elements that we surround ourselves with, obviously his voice is the one that spoke everything into existence. So what would limit God to speak through anything? Moses was human, he had his weakness, but yet he still had a heart for God and a longing to know more. And we see that as we read through here. He wanted to know more and be uh, see more of God.
How many different things had Moses already witnessed up to this point? And the whole process of getting the children of Israel out of Egypt was a feat in itself. Not only that, but manna raining down from heaven. And yet, Moses still wanted to know more. Do I long for God's presence and leading in my life? These are some questions I ask myself. Do I talk to God as I would talk to a friend? Moses wanted God to be with him in his presence to not leave. Looking at verse 12 and 13. Verse 12, I see God being a personal God. It mentions knowing him by name. And he found grace. I imagine everyone here this morning has a name. I don't think there's anybody here that wouldn't have a name. Moses and God knew one another. The name was a connection. I'll admit, I'm not good with names. I can meet you the first time and I probably won't remember your name. I'll try. But it's not till I start bumping into you more and there's different things that I can connect you with that I'll start to remember your name. Some people are gifted or talented in, in remembering names. And I was talking to someone this Friday night and I have no clue. I didn't even know his name, but he heard who my dad was and he knew who I was and it had to be just through me visiting Bible school. And I'm like, wow. I said, you're good. <clears throat> I can tell you with full confidence that God has no problem with that. God knows your name. God knows my name so well that he's not going to abandon me. He's not going to let me in the wilderness. He's not going to turn a deaf ear to my suffering or injuries or wrongs or discriminations. Even my sins he won't. If I cry out to him, he will hear. God knows our names. So we won't have to navigate our way through a world without God. Can I say that God knows my name so that I don't have to navigate my way through when the doctor doesn't give me the news that I want to hear? God knows your name. And God knows us. Even the hairs on our head are numbered. And Luke 12, 7 talks about God knowing the number of our hairs. Obviously, I got a lot less hair than 
most everybody here this morning, but it doesn't matter. God knows. What is in a name? Obviously, our ears are tuned to our name. You can be in a crowd and you can be visiting with someone, someone, and you will hear your name being talked by someone else. You are going to be distracted. You will probably, unless you're really good at zoning out, but you might be wanting to hear what they're saying about you. But hearing your name is sweetness. It's a sound in any language that connects, makes you feel worth something. As I was thinking of names, as parents, we have the privilege of giving names to our children. It's an honor of naming them. And that name is going to go with them for the rest of their life. And do I dare say that I think that name will actually carry into eternity. I remember a game called SWAT. We'd play it sometimes. And if you want to add confusion to a name, play that game using your middle name or your last name. I guess if there's more than one last name, you have to abbreviate it, but it's confusion. It's not, it, it does, it may work and it may not work. With God, our, there's no confusion with our name. God changed some people's names. We know of some of those accounts. He changed Abram to Abraham. Abram meaning high father. Abraham, father of multitude. He changed Syriai, which meant princess, to Sarah, which means mother of nations. God also changed Jacob's name, which meant supplanter, to Israel, meaning power with God. Jesus also changed Simeon's name, meaning God has heard, to Peter, meaning the rock. So, names carry meaning. Names carry value. I believe longer ago, there was a lot more thought put into naming a child. And maybe there's still a lot of thought put into naming a child. Maybe I'm showing my humanness, humanness here. But when it came time to pick names, it was kind of whatever you liked or what sounded good. God knows my name, the sheep will hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. The psalmist says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. God knows my failures. God knows my intentions. God knows me and he's still willing to forgive me. 
And God's promises are going to go ahead of us, and they will be with us always, even unto the end of time. Keep your heart turned toward God. As a compass points toward the north, always. Keep your needle pointed toward God. That was already illustrated in our Sunday school lesson, and Dad used that illustration of pointing toward God. doesn't matter where you're at. If you're going toward God, that's all that matters. If your needle is pointing away, get it turned around. Get it pointed toward God. Being outside of the will of God is a dangerous place to be, and it's going to open you up to all the evils that can come and penetrate your core. We want to be guided. We want to be taught by God in His ways. We want to know the path that we're to take. And we want to be shown the right way. We are people that hunger for guidance. And we long for the direction. But sometimes we, as humans, we want a sign. God, won't you just give me a sign? Show me your way. Write it across the sky. Make it clear so I can see it. But you know, interestingly, God didn't write Moses a sign in the sky. He didn't send him a fax or an email or a letter. But he did something better. And you can find that in verse 14. My presence shall go with thee. This was the better thing that God was offering Moses. God promised Moses his presence. God personally and providentially led Moses and the nation of Israel. God offered something better, and that was the guidance. He promised to be their guide. Not only that, but he promised to accompany them, to be with them. It wasn't some God that lived up in some heavenly domain, but rather God that chose to come down and to live among his people. God wouldn't provide a handwriting in the sky. He would offer his hand to Moses and his people and walk with them side by side as a friend with a friend. We like to know what we're doing. We don't like to be caught off guard. That's our way of maybe protecting ourselves a little bit. But when I worked for my neighbor, we'd sometimes have to haul grain into a new location, a new terminal or somewhere. And I always hated to be that first guy because I had no clue what I was doing. And Sometimes it could be a real maze getting in and around and about, and and you could maybe get some directions from the scale house, but I still didn't like it because there was just so much action, so so many ways. I mean, other trucks that are coming and going and trying to be fast, and you're in there and wandering around, and you can't just get stuck somewhere either. So I'd often try to let someone else go first, and then I would ask them, well, can I follow you? Or how do you do it? 
it's nice when someone can lead the way. How true is it in the Christian life? I mean, we have a map, a blueprint right here. But it's more than that. It's a relationship with God and God's presence going with us. And maybe a brother or sister coming alongside and saying, I'm here. What would you rather, a map or someone who says, I will show you, follow me? Sometimes we do get lost and we need a map. And sometimes we need to just stop and ask and get advice. Guidance for the Christian comes from our ongoing relationship with God. He wants to know. We want to know Him. Being guided by Him is part of that relationship. Signs are temporary. A relationship is permanent. Signs can also be misinterpreted or misread or not even seen at all. But God wants to lead us each step of our journey whether it's the biggies or if it's just walking with us but it's a relationship with us that God wants to have Moses was a real person who had a real encounter with a real God this relationship provided him the direction and the guidance that he desired If I want to know God's will, we must get to know God. That's where the guidance is going to hinge on the relationship. If we seek the guide, if we seek the guide more than the guidance, we just might see the sign that we're looking for. And even so, we might even receive some wonderful benefits too. We, as people, Our ears may perk up when we hear benefits. We want them. If you're looking for a job, that might be one of the questions you ask. What are the benefits? What's the 401k? What's paid holidays? What's the health coverage? And you could add more. Well, I have a few here that are benefits that are going to surpass any worldly benefits that could ever be. And the one is we have a companion. My presence will go with you. In your Zion's praises. song right inside the front cover in the garden I don't have a pitch pipe do you have a pitch for me Wendon
God of the universe walks with us. He is our companion, our friend. The whole world may walk out on us, but God never will. We have his word on that. The second benefit that I have is we will experience rest. That's found in verse 14 as well. I will give thee rest. The rest that is spoken here is the rest that comes while we are on our journey. It's a rest that reaches to the core of our being. It is not like a week's a weekly day of off, being off, or a paid vacation, or a holiday. But it's a calmness and a security that comes through walking with God. In the Challenger space shuttle disaster, the key NASA officers who made the ill-fate decision to go ahead with the launch after working 20 hours straight and getting only two or three hours of sleep at night before their error in judgment costed the lives of seven astronauts and nearly killed the U.S. space program. Also in recent years, there was the Exxon Valdez, the Three Mile Island, the fatal navigation error of the Korean airline, Flight 007, these all occurred in the middle of the night from fatigue and stressed operators. Our human bodies need rest, but can I say that our spiritual rest and calmness is much more. Rest provides the compass points to show us where we need to go. It gives us the physical and emotional endurance to make the correct judgments, and it's in that solitude that gives us the wisdom. And that's the tool that can help us find God's way. Also, rest is a testimony of our trust to God. There's a story of two birds that were perched high above a busy city watching the people scurry below. From their activities to one activity to another, the robin said to the sparrow, Why do those humans scurry to and fro? Perhaps, said the sparrow, they do not realize that they have a Heavenly Father like ours who cares for us. Also, Corey Ted Boom, when she was in prison, she said, don't wrestle, just nestle. A benefit of living in God's presence is that we can snuggle up close to our Heavenly Father knowing that we can rest with confidence and secure and be victorious. third benefit that I have, we will be distinguishable, found in verses 15 and 16. Moses knew that having God and following him was something that would set them apart from the world. Moses was concerned about that. God, Moses wanted God's presence to go with him. If it wasn't going to go with him, then why would we continue on into the land, the promised land? Moses knew that God needed to be with him. If your presence does not go, your people will not be distinguishable by this or from any other people on the face of the earth. Moses had a heart for the people. 
in, in the previous chapter, we didn't even get or didn't even look at that, but Moses had a dialogue with God about blotting his name out from the book. He's like, if you're going to take the sin of these people after they built that golden calf and going to consume them, he reminded God that these are your people. You let us out of Egypt. What are the Egyptians going to say when they hear that you brought us out here and you killed us? Moses interceded and said, you know, if it's so that I blot my name out from that book, and that found favor in God's eyes. Are we consciously aware of God's presence? It will impact our talk, our behavior, our thoughts. God's accompanying presence causes us to think differently, act differently, talk differently. It's going to, we're going to love differently. And we're going to serve differently. The accompanying presence of God causes us to stand out in the crowd, to be distinct, separate, and unusual. Fourth benefit found in verse 17. We will be known. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing. You have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Can you be, can you imagine being known by God? Encountered with God in an intimate experience? Seeing God's direction, God's leading, sometimes mean means that we need to look in the rear view mirror. You know, we look forward, we look for direction, we look for things to guide us. But sometimes I think if we look back and we can see God worked here and God worked there and here and there and it's maybe not a straight line, but those things can help us maybe find our next step that we need to take. God doesn't use billboards or road signs or directional signs. But as we walk with God, we can look and see where God has led us. Looking at the latter part, the glory of God, Moses, he... He had experienced God's presence in a way that more so than I would ever probably experience. But yet he wanted more. God, uh, Moses knew that God had more and he was just thirsting for more. I want to see your glory, God. Verse 18 there, the glory of God was a weighty importance and a shining majestic majesty that accompanied God's presence. The heavens declare creation witnesses, the church embodies it and Christians reflect it. The glory of God is around us. Moses came to understand and sense and see God's glory. But Moses did not see the entirety of God's glory and neither will we. 
verse 19, the signs of his goodness. The Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I believe the word goodness has a manifestation of his attributes, the thought of the workings of his hands. God is working in our lives. God is doing things that sometimes we don't totally understand, but yet we can still claim and put our confidence in that. The signs of His grace in verse 19. The Lord said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will be compassionate on whom I will have compassion. Grace of God is our unmerited favor and expression of His heart. God's heart is one that is big, full of love and compassion. Here's the interesting thing about the signs of God, His glory, His goodness, and His grace. Most often as God is leading us, we see these signs afterwards. Sort of like the illustration of looking in the rear of a mirror. And we can see how God was performing His work through our lives. While the path of our life's journey is not always a straight line, but when we look back, we can detect that God was leading. It may be like a, a road or a trail up a switch, like a switchback on a mountain, but God still will help us get to that destination that He desires. In conclusion, we, too, when led by God, we do not see God's face. We may get glimpses of His glory, but it's what we can claim is the path, the presence, His grace that helped us get through those times of struggle or toughness or whatever, even just ordinary life. It has been my experience that God does not always point the way, but He'll lead the way. There may be high points. There may be low points. But we can start to see the working of God and His presence as we continue to move forward. There was a quote that was just shared with me. And this is how it goes. Perhaps it's time to let go of the picture of what you envisioned your life to be like and to learn to find joy in the beauty, in the beautiful story the author of life is writing for you. <laughs>